welcome to Ill-Equipped History, where two very unqualified best friends talk about something that happened in history, and we have a really good one for you this week. Hey, Morgan, how you doing? I'm good. Um, Emily has literally been spazzing because she's so excited <laughs> to talk about this episode. Um, which I, I totally get. That's how I was when I was talking about yeah. the six wives. Um, I literally couldn't contain it. So I'm glad that you're getting some of that energy. <laughs> I've been spazzing. I've been spazzing for like three weeks now. <laughs> Ever since I was like, hey, give me an extra week to research. I was fully prepared to like go to the archives because it's not far from where I live. And... I actually went to a museum and I walked around downtown and I mean I did I got some boots on the ground researching and so now I'm just obsessed with this topic and I will probably talk about it for the rest of my life the whole world needs to know all right well I'm super excited yay okay so let's set the scene it's early 1946 Two soldiers are coming home to Athens, Tennessee on a bus after serving in World War II. They are still in their uniforms and are eager to get home. Man, am I glad to be home. I'm ready to see my parents and my sister. I heard she's going to graduate this May. I feel like I missed so much during this damn war. Damn right. And I hope Shelly hadn't found herself a boyfriend yet. I swear thinking of her is the only reason I survived. Here, have a drink. I bought some beer at the last stop. Figured we could celebrate the war being over and us being home. Aw, thanks, man. The men talk about what they plan on doing when they get home and recount war stories. The bus comes to a stop in Athens a few hours later, and when the men step off the bus, a sheriff stops them. Boys, you're under arrest for public drunkenness. What? We only had one each. I saw you both stumbling. I tripped. I promise you we're not drunk. The sheriff smacks one with his club and then handcuffs him. Another cop comes out of nowhere and arrests the other one. They are both thrown into a police car and taken downtown. They are made to pay a fine and released just a few hours later. Well, what the hell was that? An older gentleman sitting on the corner replies, That son is a Cantrell machine. And y'all will do best not to mess with them. They run this town. What the hell happened while we were gone? That was really good. Thanks. He also Your did a great job. Your old man voice is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite. So, do you know what we're talking about? Part of me wants to take a guess, but I'm not sure. Is this something... Take a guess. Is this about the Battle of Athens? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite stories. <laughs> oh, my God. And it is insane. Insane. How much do you know? How much... I want to know, like, what level you're at. Okay, so I remember... Uh, in Coach Stoika's 
AP US history class in high school, we watched an unaired History Channel documentary about the Battle of Athens. And Prof Powers was in the documentary giving some insight and feedback to what happened. Yeah. Um, Basically, a corrupt election where the people's vote was not considered and then the people took matters in their own hands and some people from Meg's County were like, hey, we got some dynamite. <laughs> and there, that's about all I remember. <laughs> that's, that is probably the most simplistic explanation of what happened. Because <laughs> I thought the same thing. Growing up, we heard stories because we're from Athens, Tennessee. I was born and raised. I mean, Morgan was... Raised. You weren't born in Athens. No, I was born in... You were raised in Athens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you were raised in, in Athens. And, you know, you get little snippets here and there. You're like, oh, well, this happened. And the they blew up the jail. And then you're like, that shit can't happen. Like, I, I don't know who to believe, what to believe. I don't know. But this sounds like a movie. Like... I am speechless after (laughs) actually figuring out what happened. I do want to say that this is scheduled to to air on my parents' 32nd anniversary. Wow. Happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I would like to start out with a disclaimer. Uh, When discussing the events that took place... We will be referring to people in specific political parties. We would like to point out that they are in no way reflecting current state of affairs or our personal political opinions. These events happened nearly 80 years ago, and there have been so many changes across the board in all political parties. When we say Democrat or Republican, we are merely just stating facts. We're stating events as they happened. And you will quickly see that there is a clear bad guy that goes against all people, regardless of political affiliation. And the more I dug into the story, like I said, the more I was sucked in, you would think that, like I said, being from that town, you would know everything there was to know. And I was surprised at how little I knew. And just how complicated the story was. There's only like a few markers around downtown, only a few signs. And I'm surprised that there are because the, the people who participated in the events didn't actually talk about it afterwards because they were afraid of, you know, persecution. They didn't want to go to jail. Mm -hmm. So Bill White was one of the people who participated, who actually did interview in depth with someone. So a lot of the accounts are from his point of view. A lot of the accounts are from the children of the people. So they're a little secondhand, but there's a lot of political things that went on during this time that I felt like to give this story true justice, we're going to have to split it up into two two episodes. So the first episode is going to be between 1936 and 1946. What happened in that decade 
that really led to it being so bad because it's really easy to look at the events of just that day and think, oh, well, the, you know, the GIs just overreacted or they, you know, were just, I don't know, just that, that it wasn't called for, but the more you uncover about the actual atrocities, you'll understand why they did what they did and why they had to do what they did. And to give those people justice, we're splitting it up into two parts. So sounds good. Bear with us. Yes. Thanks for my little rant. So let's get into it. <laughs> All right. For those of you who are not from Athens, Tennessee, let's get into the when and the where. So Athens is a small town located pretty much halfway between Knoxville and Chattanooga on I-75. You drive an hour north from Chattanooga, an hour south from Knoxville, you're in Athens. Uh, little fun facts about Athens that um, I, I knew some of it, but I didn't know it all. Uh, McMinn was founded, the county of McMinn was founded in 1819 and was named after Joseph McMinn who was a former militia commander in the Revolutionary War. And Athens used to be known as Pumpkin Town. Shut the fuck up. Which is why we have the Pumpkin Town Festival, and I had no idea. Why is it not still named Pumpkin Town? I don't Can you know imagine where are you from? I'm from Pumpkin Town, Tennessee. I'm from Pumpkin Town. Isn't that the most delightful thing you've ever heard of? I'm so mad. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, the two biggest towns in McMinn County at the time were Athens and Etowah. Mm-hmm. By the 40s, Athens was referred to as the friendly city. It's still called that, isn't it, on its sign? Welcome. It sure is. It sure is. Real friendly. The friendliest. The friendliest. (laughs) Um, So, at the time, barely 7,000 people lived in Athens. And countywide, there were only 30,000 residents. Wow. A lot of roads weren't paved yet. And it was a popular place for farmers in the surrounding towns to meet up on Saturdays and discuss crops and politics. Many were uh, without electricity and a quote uh, from American Heritage, the website American Heritage, says, the two big cities some 50 miles away had not yet begun their inevitable expansion and the farmers' lives were simple and essentially unaffected by what they would have called the modern world. So we're talking very rural town at the time. Still feels like that sometimes. Yes. I mean, especially when we're talking about Riceville and the counties and like you know the country. Because I don't think Athens even got a Starbucks until after we graduated high school in 2011. No, and it, the Athens only still doesn't have a Starbucks with a drive-through. No, the only Starbucks is inside an Ingles. <laughs> They got another one. It's inside the food city. Oh, okay. (laughs) So we got two grocery store Starbucks now. (laughs) That's amazing. And it truly is hard to imagine that this is the place for the only successful armed rebellion 
since the Revolutionary War. And currently, it's the only successful one. Wow. Yeah. Is that not insane? That's really... So, mind-blowing. Yeah, that was the... I couldn't think of the right word. Um, But yeah, mind-blowing is a good one. That our little town of Athens, and it's even smaller then, that that something so big and historical would happen and the entire town for 80 years just have, they've glossed over it for the most part. Yeah. They just don't talk about it. I want to know this shit. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> okay. So important people that we need to know about because there's a lot of people. Um, and these are just on the, what we call the the Cantrell machine. Um, So Paul Cantrell, he was born in 1892 in Etowah. Okay. He came from a wealthy family, probably the wealthiest in the county. Uh, Between him and his siblings, they owned a lumber company, a motor company, the local water, light, and power utilities, and a bank. All right. He was the youngest son of Thomas Washington Cantrell, one of the wealthiest people in the county. Paul Cantrell previously worked at the L&N Railroad before working for his father's companies. He decided to get into politics, and Roosevelt was an idol of his. Pat Mansfield, he was the chief deputy, and we'll get into their titles a little later on, um, but he was a big Cantrell supporter, and he plays a big role in the future. George Woods was an ally of Cantrell and, in our story, ran for state legislator. And then Congressman Jennings, his name was Judge John J. Jennings. Oh, my goodness. Known as the Five J's of Jellico, because <laughs> he lived in Jellico. I love this man because of his name. Five J's of Jellico. Uh, he was a congressman who ran against the machine, and was really the only one over the next decade to actually win against the machine. Okay. Um, And McMahon was in his district, and he was doing everything he could. You'll see, he was doing everything he could to help the people of McMahon County during this time. He's a good guy. Okay. Jellicoe Man. political history. Jellicoe Man. The five J's of Jellicoe. So... Political history. So since the Civil War, the political offices in McMahon County had traditionally gone to the Republicans until the 1930s when they started to swing towards the Democrats thanks to Edward Crump in Memphis. Crump was at his face value a good political man. He he did some good things there at the beginning, but kind of under the radar. Crump legalized gambling for establishments that kicked back 40% of their revenue. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly Sunday closing laws were not being observed. Saloon keepers very suspiciously started having interest in politics, registering voters, getting them to the polls. Anyone that opposed him, like if businesses opposed him, they would face consequences such as no parking signs in front of their establishments, visit from code inspectors, 
stuff like that. So he was really bullying his way into money and power. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he was doing a lot more worse things, but we don't have time to get into Crump today. But he is important. So Crump had to resign due to the ouster laws. And the ouster laws were basically like, if you were a elected official who was doing bad things, you would get kicked out of your seat. So he resigned before that could get to him. But he had, by then he had the money and the power to start an empire that stretched all the way to East Tennessee. And for those of you that don't know East Tennessee geography, Memphis is about eight to 10 hours away. It's on the other from other side of the state. Like, and not, not like up and down, but yeah. long ways. And Tennessee is a long, long state. Ways. <laughs> yeah. Very long and skinny, like a Datsun. Um. <laughs> So he had the power from eight to 10 hours away to put Cantrell into office. So Crump was running the big thing. Cantrell was one of his supporters. And in East Tennessee, that means it was um, intimidation and violence that controlled their people. So we're going to pre-1936. So President Roosevelt enacted the New Deal, which created tons of jobs around the country to help with the Great Depression. One of those was the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, that was intended to plant trees and other various outdoor work. And one of those camps was open in Athens. Oh, cool. The current shed... Sheriff. I almost said shelf. The current <laughs> sheriff. What a shelf. Jesus, I'm getting too excited. <laughs> the current shelf. The current sheriff at the time was Sheriff, you'll love this, Davy Crockett Dugan. Oh, man, so close. And he was named for his famous relative. Oh, okay. I would like to interject that I, too, am related to Davy Crockett, so apparently the sheriff is like my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everyone that ha- has been born in Athens is related to each other or just to... In some, in some form or fashion. Yeah. Yes. Small town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we said, <laughs> very small town. So deputies earned money for every arrest that was made. And... Any arrest that was made that was motivated by the profit and not public good was referred to as fee grabbing. The sheriff's office saw the employees as the CCC of the CCC as easy targets and would just repeatedly just arrest them to get their money, fee grabbing, and it eventually led to the CCC leaving town 10 weeks later. Wow, only 10 weeks? So they were like, nope, only 10 weeks And I say that to just point out that the corruption was there before Cantrell was elected. Mm -hmm. So, that was before 1936. And we don't live in 1936 anymore, so I would like to explain how the elections used to work. Totally different than they are now. So, for every polling place, an election commission was appointed. And that included an officer of election... 
who was the head person in charge, a three-member panel of election judges to referee disputes. Typically, it was like either two Democrats and one Republican or two Republicans, one Democrat, depending on who's currently in office. So if the Democrats were currently in office, they would elect two Democrats and one Republican. But there was still some bipartisan cooperation in the... Right, right. And then there's one clerk from each party. So it was a Republican clerk and a Democratic clerk. After the polls closed, which was about 4 o'clock, the officer of election would open up each ballot and announce the result out loud. Each of the clerks would keep a running tally, and the two numbers of the clerks had to match. Mm -hmm. The election judges would inspect the ballots to make sure the officer of election was calling them correctly. So the judges would sit behind the election officer who was reading it and make sure that he was reading it as said mm-hmm. so the clerks could write down so there's like lots of checks know, and like balances six people going on lots of checks and balances that's how it should run mm-hmm. should so on to the election of 1936 this is when the machine gets going Paul Cantrell runs as the Democratic candidate, supported by Crump, of course, and he took a full-page newspaper ad pledging no-fee-grabbing deputies in class discrimination and saying, you can depend on me making a good and efficient sheriff. Sounds great. Yeah. Charles Scott Sr. runs as the Republican candidate, so they're already tired of Davy Crockett Dugan. In his fee-grabbing ways. Mm -hmm. Charles Scott Sr. was the former chief deputy. Oh. Under Davy Crockett. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. He promised as few deputies as possible, men with good, clean records, and to fire any deputy making an arrest for improper reasons. Cool. Good for you guys. So, by 10 p.m., Scott led by 171 then he led by 270. Then he led by 500, wow. where he stayed for a few hours. The last precinct was Etowah, Cantrell's hometown. Mm-hmm. Also where Frank Cantrell, Paul's brother, was the mayor. Mm. They reported 9,662 people voted that day. Total. Mm-hmm. And by a margin of 128, Paul won. Paul Cantrell won. Okay. And some believe that this first election was rigged, but they they couldn't prove right. it. So, I mean, it is kind of fishy that Scott was leaving, leading by 500, then all of a sudden the town that his brother was mayor and his hometown was like, blew them out of the water. Mm-hmm. But 128 isn't really that it's not that wide of a gap right 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 apparently cheers arose from the large crowd still lingering in the streets and whistles were blown and horns were honked so people seemed to be happy about it pat mansfield was hired as chief deputy Uh, they apparently met while working on the railroad so they were both kind of 
big burly railroad men. Okay. And the McMinn County Court, the legislative body of McMinn County, remained in Republican hands. The court had been wanting to put law enforcement on a salary instead of having them, you know, get money in every single arrest they make. So they've been wanting to put them on a salary and having a Democratic sheriff gave them the push that they needed. I mean, it makes sense. They capped his salary. Yeah, I mean, of course it does. Like, if fee grabbing is the only way they're making money, then they're not going to, they're going to be incentivized to keep doing that because everyone needs money. So if they're put on a salary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And they capped their salary at $5,000, which is about $100,000 in today's money. All right. Good money. Good money. With all the excess fees going back into the county. Yeah, makes sense. Cantrell responded with a lawsuit that allowed him to keep collecting the fees. Mm. So first kind of red flag. Well, and like his whole platform was no more fee grabbing. And then the second he's elected, he's like, oh, I get to keep the money for myself. Oh, but I'm going to, I'm going to grab a few fees. Yeah. (laughs) You know. So... Six months after this first election, Deputy Oliver Nichols and another deputy broke into 23-year-old Carl Voyle's home and shot him dead (gasps) because they were, quote, following up on a call that he was in a fight. What? The family fought back, but the case was dismissed. Oh, my... What? He left behind a wife. Oh, my God. Like... Mm Mm-hmm. That doesn't even make sense. Like, you're going to follow up because he may have been in a fight and then you execute him in his own home? Yeah, you broke into his house and shot him. Not talk to him on the front porch, figure out what's... Nope, straight up shot him. And it gets worse. Oh my gosh. The same officer beat Hub Jackson, who was in his 60s, with a blackjack. Do you know what a blackjack is? Is it like a club? Kind of. It's like a leather paddle, and sometimes it has, like, a piece of metal in between the leather. So, like, when you whip it, it's, like, heavy on the end. Oh, okay. So, they beat him with a blackjack. Oh, my gosh. In front of his children. Oh, no. For relieving himself behind a billboard sign. Hub Johnson had some medical issues, and he couldn't hold it Mm -hmm. for very long. So, he went around a billboard sign while he was doing his job of delivering papers and relieved himself. Hub Johnson died. Oh my god! From those injuries, and guess what was done about it? Not a thing. Not oh, a poor damn Hub. thing. I know. And he had just lost his wife, like oh no, a year or two before that. So like he was raising his kids, and like his eldest daughter was only like maybe in her teens. Oh my god! So gosh. then she had to raise like her siblings. Oh, that's so sad. Like. I know. Like, if anything, like, okay, like, you know, disregarding, like, his medical conditions, like, if someone's relieving themselves outside, that's a misdemeanor at best. You know, like, you can't even go to, I don't even think you can go to jail for that. It's just like, here's, like, a $100 fine for, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, like, behind a billboard. It's not like he was out, you know, in the open or anything. Definitely not something you deserve to die about over. No. Oh, that's so sad. I know. 
So let's get into the sheriff's position of power and why it was so important. So during the time, the sheriff was the most influential position in a small town, even more powerful than the mayor. I mean, it makes sense because you're the law when you're the sheriff. Yeah. Yeah. And the mayor only has power over the town. Mm -hmm. He's the county sheriff. Oh. So he has everybody. Yeah. So how does the position work? So the sheriff would run the jail like a private business. So he hires the jailer and the cook, buys the food out of his own pocket, does maintenance to the jail out of his own pocket, which I see so many flaws with that. Yeah. Um, The business would thrive if the jail was kept full. Yeah. Because minor offenses were fined $16.05. $6 would go to the arresting officer. $4.55 to the justices of the peace or the county court members. That's who they were. $1 turnkey charge for letting them into the jail. And a dollar for letting them out. And a dollar fifty for two days meals. And two dollars for the county itself. So the county was only getting two dollars and the officer was getting six. Yeah, this isn't corrupt at all. And then everything else was just, yeah. And if an arrest was made after dinner, but before breakfast, that that, uh, prisoner didn't eat any meals. And the sheriff just got to keep that dollar fifty. Oh my god! For the meals, and the conditions of the prison uh, were deplorable. Well, I mean, there's no the prisoners, None of that money is going towards cleaning. <laughs> exactly. There were absolutely no incentives for these uh, sheriffs to keep the jails clean and tidy. Anything. So the prisoners remember a quote sickening stench. Mm. Tons of flies sleeping on uncovered mattresses that were black with dirt, filthy blankets, cobwebs, peeling paint, and the kitchen was a, quote, dirty, nauseating disgrace. Oh, my gosh. And, like, if the kitchen is like that, that's just going to continue to make people sick. Yeah. Yeah. And it got so bad, the people, the people, the sheriff wanted money. The sheriff's deputies wanted money. They would board buses passing through and drag passengers to jail just to pay the 16 fi- 1605 fine for drunkenness, whether they were guilty or not. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is... Arrest ran as high... Uh-huh. Arrest ran as high as 115 a weekend. Oh, my God. All these, all these poor <laughs> people. I know. 1605... Was a lot of money yeah. back then. From 1936 to 1946, $300,000 was collected through these fees. That's about $5 million. That is so ridiculous. I can't even... In 10 years. And roadhouses, so like prostitution, liquor, gambling, all that stuff, operated openly. Mm-hmm. Cooperative owners would point out the influential and important patrons so they wouldn't be bothered 
but the rest of them were subject to shakedowns. So they would just come into these places and be like, oh, well, that's Larry Fitzgerald. Don't arrest him because he he owns such and such and brings in a lot of money. So, But arrest everyone else at the right. table. Oh, that's so crazy. And I just looked up how, and Pete, how much 1605 yeah, in 1936 is the equivalent of today. It's almost $350. Can you and imagine just they like... They didn't have debit cards. No. So I can't imagine like... Just, oh, we're just going to pass their little Athens or Pumpkin Town or whatever. And then... It was Athens, okay. the friendly city. Yeah. <laughs> and being dragged off a bus and like, okay, now you have to pay us $350 because we put you in jail for absolutely no reason. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. That's... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just... No, you're... No. I, but you wonder why I was so like yeah this is crazy <laughs> pumped about and, this. I mean you think about like you know just today and everything that's going on today like how much has really changed you know yeah it's just I feel like um done in a different yeah. way now but people started referring to Athens as wide open so if all of this was going on in his first two years of being in office, how was he able to stay in power? I got one answer for you. Voter fraud. Oh, man. Shock. Shock. And it's real bad. So in 1938, Cantrell was running his campaign, again, to be sheriff. His opponent was Bowling Shoemaker. They just don't name people like they used to, and I'm really mad about it. Like bowling ball? B-O-L-I-N-G. Bowling shoemaker. Okay, sorry. I love all of these names. They're amazing. Yep. Hub Hub Johnson. Hub Johnson. Bowling shoemaker. (laughs) So, (laughs) Cantrell was the Democratic candidate. Bowling shoemaker was a former sheriff himself. I'm assuming in a different county. They didn't say where. But uh, he was the Republican candidate. Cantrell was running on the campaign of cutting costs in half in his first two years. And Shoemaker was like, nah, hell no. That ain't right. He called it a, quote, deliberate falsehood. Mm -hmm. Shoemaker had drawn $9,755.38 in his first year compared to Cantrell's 16,621. Yeah. Something's going on. Shoemaker's deputies, when he was a a former sheriff, Shoemaker's deputies were making $1,978 compared to Cantrell's $4,567.13. Insane. Mm -hmm. So, what craziness happened at this election? This is the 1938, his second go-around. So attorney Tom Taylor was running for circuit judge against the judge that dismissed the shooting earlier. Yeah. That we talked yeah. about. So that that judge dismissed the shooting. Tom Taylor's running against that person. Mm-hmm. Tom Taylor got into a fist fight with one of Cantrell's allies, John Rogers Uh over a discrepancy in the list of eligible voters. And a quote says, 
Guns were swinging wildly, and the election booth was partially destroyed when the fighters were knocked through it. Oh, my God. So, I mean, they were... It was a brawl. Yeah. And over... And, again, it was over a discrepancy in the list of eligible voters. So, something happened that I guess somebody was trying to vote, and it, they weren't eligible, but maybe somebody was trying to let them vote when it wasn't... Vic Logan, a well-known Athenian, went to the Williamsburg polling place and attempted to wreck the voting booths which, with a hatchet. Oh, man. No one knows why. No one knows why. If I can't I just vote, thought I'd add you it because it's hilarious. <laughs> I know. He just... All right, Vic. You got some anger issues or something. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Random. Uh, the Claxton precinct ran out of ballots at 2 p.m. Uh-oh. And decided to just close up shop. We're done. Oh, man. Rest of y'all can't vote. Sorry. This is such a mess. The, the, election, the election commission decided that none of the ballots from Claxton would be counted. What? Because they ran out of ballots? I guess if you didn't let everybody vote they wanted to. Nobody gets counted. I don't know. Wow. I don't know why they chose that, but that's what they chose. And fun little fact, Cantrell had lost that precinct by 26 points in the previous election. So maybe that had something to do with it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Etowa, again, was the last to report. And Cantrell only won this election by 422 votes. All right. So, again, another close call. Mm -hmm. And my theory is because it's just his second election, he still doesn't have that that big power underneath him. Mm -hmm. They were having to be a little more sneaky about their fraud. I mean, nothing is really blaring, you know, voter fraud. It's not just like a, hey, big red sign, this is voter fraud. But I just feel like enough happened to where it was like "Mm." it's a little easier to hide it's a little yeah so that was 1938 Cantrell won and we're still going on with the machine and speaking of machines in the election of 1940 uh the physical voting machines were installed okay so again for those of us who don't know how the hell voting machines used to work let me tell you so a voter would pull a lever that closed a curtain around him, and every candidate for every, you know, every position they're running for had a, a little lever next to their name. So the voter would pull the appropriate letter, lever, next to their name, and then when every office was voted for, there was a big lever on the side, they'd pull that, it would record the votes, reset the machine, and then open the curtain, and voila, you're done. A running tally was recorded on a little counter that was behind a locked panel, so no one could see it until the end of the day. So the county court, still under Republican rule, remember, made a legal decision that the machines would have to be used, but the Democratic members of the election commission made a public announcement that they would not be used. You can't commit fraud on the machines. Yeah, it's harder to to get away with. <laughs> yeah. A lawsuit was made 
before the election where the judge ordered them to use the machines. Like, you have to use the machines. No fraud for you. Another issue... Yeah. No, no, no. Another issue was the absentee voting. Mm -hmm. So the election commission ignored all the safeguards that um, the law had put in place. And the safeguards were like, by a certain date, if you're not going to be here to vote, you have to tell us. We're going to put your name on a list and we're going to publicly display who is not going to physically be here so everyone knows so we can't just make up shit. Right, and right. Like, if we see you trying to vote and your name's on the list, you're out of here, right? Exactly. And if we, you know, see that, I don't know, someone was trying to put your name on a ballot, but it's like, oh, well, they're, nope, they've already, uh, no, you can't do that. So, the election commission, like I said, ignored all the safeguards, and it ended up to where they were able to make as many absentee mm. votes as they wanted, including names of real people, fake people, and dead people. Yikes. <laughs> no bueno. Ralph, Ralph Dugan, son of former Sheriff Davy Crockett Dugan, a Republican, mm member of the election committee and a local, he was also a local lawyer, sued his fellow election officials to force them to follow the law and the court sided with Dugan. Yeah. Like, hey, where's the damn list? Obey the law. <laughs> Don't commit Obey fraud. Obey the law, please. <laughs> We've had to tell you twice now. Yeah. Shortly after, Chief Deputy Pat Mansfield showed up on Dugan's doorstep with an order from the Tennessee Supreme Court overturning that ruling, and the Supreme Court gave no explanation. What? Something fishy about that machine. Did he have to go, like, all the way to Nashville to get that done? Probably. Dang. But, I mean, it wasn't, like, the day before or anything. I think it was yeah. maybe a few weeks or but something still, like that. But still, I mean, like, having to go all the way from tiny little Athens to the Tennessee Supreme Court, which I'm sure was in Nashville, as Nashville is the capital of Tennessee. Oh. Like, yeah. that's not, that's far away. I mean, it takes me almost three out, three and a half hours to drive to Athens. Yeah, and we're running 80 yeah. at least. Yeah. I mean, there's mountains <laughs> yeah. in the way. There's a whole plateau you got to go over. Like you have to go around rivers and stuff. Like it's not it's yep. a long trek. <laughs> he did some work just to be petty enough to show up on Dugan's front step and be like, "Bitch, I had the last say." Oh man. I ain't doing no damn list. I know. That was all before the election of 1940. Okay. Are you ready to talk about the shit show that happened? Oh my gosh, what happened? So on election day. <laughs> I would tell you to buckle up, but I'm going to need you to put on like a roller coaster harness. Okay. Just maybe until we're done with this topic in okay. general. I'm locked in. Yeah. Okay. We're doing some loop-de-doos today. Okay. So, <laughs> Joe Taylor was the Republican sheriff nomination. Also, Dugan's cousin and close friend. Okay. 
running, of course, against Cantrell. Joe's son, Tom, was campaigning for his father outside of an Etowah polling place. He was arrested by Officer A.B. Blair on the charge of carrying a weapon. Blair was on foot patrol. So what does he do? How the hell does he get this arrestee Mm -hmm. into the jail in Athens from Etowah? Which for y'all that don't know, that what, 20, 30 minutes of a drive today? Yeah, it's not, I mean, they're next to each other, but... Like, I'm thinking of, like, Etowah downtown and Athens downtown, and it's it's a bit of a drive. Yeah. Okay, so how... He's on foot. He's not carrying the dude. So he ordered Tom into his own car and directed him to drive to the jail with Blair in the passenger seat <laughs> and Constable John McTeer in the back. <laughs> wow. This... Wow. <laughs> Blair and McTeer discussed whether or not to kill Taylor when they got to the jail. (gasps) What? Taylor was not sticking around to find out. He's not a fuck around and find out kind of guy. So on the bridge over the Chistua Creek, Taylor drove his car off the side of the bridge and into the water. Holy shit. And then Taylor swam to shore and started running. Hauling ass. (laughs) Hauling ass. Luckily, his mother and his sister had heard about his arrest and they were headed to the jail at the time. Oh my God. And this is where it turns into every fucking cartoon we've ever watched because he jumps into his mother and sister's car Mm -hmm. and they speed Mm -hmm. off. (laughs) Blair and McTeer jump into a taxi and force it into a high-speed chase. Oh, my God. Officer Blair told him that he was going to add attempted murder to the charges as he re-arrested Tom, so I guess they caught up with him. Oh, my God. But you're literally in his own car talking about how you were going to kill him. I know! Oh, my God, this is so batshit. (laughs) Mount Harmony Precinct refused to hold an election. Wow. So the court was able to find election officials who would do their damn job and swore them in immediately. They held an election. They kicked the other officer uh, officials out. They held the election. But then none of those votes were counted at the end of the day. I don't, then why even make them hold an election in the first place if their votes aren't even going to be counted. Because the Cantrell machine didn't want them counted, I guess. I don't know. Probably because the ones that um, were the original officials probably weren't going to count them correctly anyway. Mm. Yeah. And the new ones probably were. Yeah. And we're not even done yet. Oh, I know. With this year. The Democratic election officials disabled the machines at the Macedonia precinct, and no vote was held. Oh my god. Turn it off, no vote was held. In Riceville, the lever for Tom Taylor was out of order for 45 minutes. In precinct 13, armed men showed up and forced a man that was working the machine to remove it. They then used ballot boxes for the rest of the day. They're literally using, like, every single form of oppression known to man, I feel like. (laughs) Like, physical intimidation and, like, 
I don't know, mechanical fraud yeah. and like Yeah. Yeah. Oh and it gets even better. Oh At precinct twelve, John Rogers, the officer of election, he was a deputy as well, seized the key to the voting machine, ordered and ordered the people to use the boxes. He allowed people from outside of the county to vote and then took the box home with him for lunch. Mm. He returned with the box and a shotgun. Oh, my God. John then declared the winner of that precinct to be Cantrell, 437 to 16. Wow. A total exceeding the number of eligible voters. Well, I mean, he was allowing people to out of county to vote. Yeah, they don't even live in that county. Like, if he wasn't just stuffing them in himself, like, cancel, 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 cancel. Like, some ballot boxes were moved to the Cantrell Bank building, and no one was allowed to enter to watch the count. Oh, God. McMinn County claimed to have 1,500 absentee ballots. Now, that doesn't sound suspicious until you look at the fact that Knox County with six times the amount of eligible voters, never had more than 600 absentee ballots. That's... So they were just cancel, 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 yeah. throwing them in there. Yeah. Wow. Why? Etowah reported... <laughs> Etowah reported 2,800 voters in a town of only 3,300 people. Wow. Only 2,000 people had voted in the previous election. So that's 800 people more mm-hmm. in one year. I doubt that many people turned 18 that year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, in this election, some weren't counted at all. Some were voted on the machines and some were in boxes. Right? Chaotic. So, of the votes cast in the voting machines, Joe Taylor crushed Cantor. Yeah. 5,924 to 3,634. Cantrell carried, I'm going to say that because that can't be true, carried the paper ballots 2,963 to 77. Wow. Yeah. So the election commission was like, well, what the fuck do we do? They were voted two different ways. Let's just squish the numbers together and see what the total is. Bringing Cantrell to the winner, um, let's see, he had 6,597 to 6,001. Wow. So he... He only won by 96. He won by 500. Oh, 500. 596. Wow. And probably that many were fake or dead or voted twice. Yeah. Or intimidated or... All the things. Yeah. Another very important, very key part of this. In this election, George Woods, a Cantrell ally whom we mentioned earlier, won the state representative seat for McMahon County. In this position, he would later introduce what is known to be the Ripper Bill, which redrew the lines of the McMahon County Court. 22 polling places turned into 12. So he's gerrymandering. <laughs> the 17 current elected court members, the se- currently elected, of which 15 were Republican, 2 were Democratic, would be replaced by 11 
court members who were already named in the bill, handing complete control to the Democrats. Oh, my God. And it fucking passed. Oh, my God. And... The important thing to note is that the reason that he wanted to go from 22 polling places to 12 is it's because it is a lot easier to find people on your side to go for, to, to run the 12 than it is to run the 24 or the 22. Control in numbers, right? Like the fewer numbers you have, the easier it is to control. And we'll get into this just in a second, but... They didn't even tell anybody where the new voting places were. Oh, my God. Okay. So, we're taking a little break from the elections right now to note that the Americans entered the war in December of 1941 after Pearl Harbor. Remember when I said that McMahon County was was made up of 30,000 residents? Mm -hmm. 3,526 young men from McMahon County volunteered. In World War II, 10% of the population went to fight. Well, isn't there, um, there's a huge, like, really beautiful memorial for World War II veterans in Athens, isn't there? Or am I thinking of a different war memorial? Oh, is it Veterans Park? Yeah, I think so. But, uh, yeah, I think it is, yeah. And it has, like, I'll the names of all of the, the soldiers that went to go fight in World War II, I think. Yeah. It's either that or Vietnam, yep. one of... One of those. But uh, Joe Guy wrote a book about all the men that fought in World War II that came out of, I think, Athens specifically. Wow. I don't know about all of McMahon County. So 3,500 young men go off to fight in 1941. This is right after um, Woods introduced that Ripper Bill, right after the 1940 election, right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that were left behind were older less able to fight back, women and children who can't physically fight back. Yeah. And the lack of the young men in the in the county really fueled the Cantrell machine because everyone else was so focused on the shit that they needed to do for the war. Everything was being rationed. Gas was rationed, food, clothing, everything was rationed. Did you know there were only 136 cars, like civilian cars built in World War II in America. That's it. I'm honestly like (laughs) flabbergasted. I'm just like blinking a lot. (laughs) We make 136 cars probably every minute in America. And they I don't know if it's from 41 to 45 or if it was from 30, I think it was 39 when officially World War II started. I think. Don't quote me on that. I don't know if it was the whole time or just the time we were in the war, but 136. That's crazy. Or 139. I know. Insanity. Um, so the the men went to war, but guess what? There's no eligible people to deputize, to have as deputies. So guess what they do? They just start hiring everyone. Ex-convicts oh, included. I was about to say, hire the women. Make the women the deputies. (laughs) I fucking wish. No, just (laughs) ex-convicts. Just ex-cons. It's fine. They're not near as emotional Um, or unstable as women are. (laughs) We get periods. Don't you know that? (laughs) We could just go haywire once a month. (laughs) 
Anyway, so, <laughs> so people began to tell each other, uh, quote, just wait till the GIs get back. Things will be different. Mm. And I would like to point out that in this time, civics, social, you know, stuff wasn't really taught. It wasn't really a focal point of education at the time. Mm -hmm. And when the GIs entered the war, they didn't really know a whole lot about fascism, democracy, dictatorship, stuff like that. They didn't, it it wasn't a focal point, so they didn't know. A lot of these kids, I'm going to say they're kids, were less than, you know, 20 years old when they left. So they they don't know about all this stuff. And Frank Carmichael, who we'll, we'll talk about later, stated, quote, part of the process of preparing for the war was to educate the military about the differences between our government and the fascist dictatorships. As they began to learn more about the totalitarian methods of Japan and Germany, many of these young men began to pay more attention to the undemocratic methods of the Cantrell machine. Yeah, I mean, that's really... What the Cantrell machine was, it was becoming a fascist regi- re- regime. Yep. Regime. I can't talk right yep. now. I'm too upset. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad. <laughs> um, and you'll see it later, maybe even next episode, that a lot of the GIs, when they came back, they started referring. They were like, we feel like we're in Nazi Germany again. Yeah. We really, really feel like we're in Nazi Germany again. So, election of 1942. The machine is in full damn swing. The men are off at war. Nobody's there to oppose them. And they have just done that ripper bill, which gives them full damn control of the county. Mm -hmm. So, things are getting a little different. Cantrell's not running for sheriff this time. He's running for state senator. Mm, yeah. And Chief Deputy Mansfield is running for sheriff. Okay. So the court, now under Democratic rule, sold the voting machines for $5,250. They were two years old. Guess how much they purchased them for? Like $10,000. $32,000. And they sold them for $52,50. <laughs> And they were basically brand new machines. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it makes you hurt, doesn't wow. it? Wow. Because they, they were just trying to get rid of them. Like, they didn't care. Yeah. They were just like, oh, just get these no. out of here. They want to go back to the paper ballots because it's easier to lie. Yeah. So Abe True was the Republican nomination for sheriff. And like I said, the Ripper bill eliminated, what was it? 10 of those voting precincts, every single one of those were in the rural communities, Mm -hmm. and some voters had to travel up to 12 miles to vote. Yeah. I mean, they're having to, like, take their cars, ride their horse, 12 miles! Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, we lived in Riceville, you know, when we were older, and it was like a 10-minute drive into Athens every yeah. day, just like in the border of Athens. Yeah. Just to get to the high school, which is basically right there. Mm-hmm. And the election commission, 
like I said, never told the public where the precincts were. They didn't even tell the Republican election commissioner. Oh, my God. He didn't even know where it was. (laughs) Oh, my God. The underhandedness. Like, buddy, he's part of this. He needs to know. (laughs) Oh, my God. And there were at least two armed men there to greet every single voter. Two armed men at the door. T.B. Ivins, whom I think was the county clerk at the time. I forgot to write it down, so don't quote me on that. But he made it known that old age pensions would be withheld from senior citizens who didn't vote the right way. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting so pissed off. Oh. And, and you wonder why I went on my little rant at the beginning. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Oh, my God. They used very thin and transparent ballots so they could be held up to the light and the ballot, you could write down whether they were friend or foe to you. So, like, the Democrats would, like, hold them up to the light and read, see who, who gave it to you, look at how they voted and then be like, oh, they voted for me or nope, they're against me. Kind of a thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Sheriff Deputy Joe Carden approached the crowd at the courthouse in the square and offered cash in advance for votes. He bragged that his wife had already voted twice. (laughs) Just outside the courthouse. My wife voted twice because that's okay. Everyone vote multiple times. Oh my god! I, I we're we're not even. This done. doesn't even sound like it could be real life. Like the audacity of these fuckers! Like it's just. I told you this sounds like a movie. Yeah, it does not sound like it could happen in real life. And we're not even to the year that the battle happened. Yeah, but I mean, I'm glad that you included all this buildup. So, because like in that episode that I told you about that we watched, it only included yeah. the day, and it was like, yeah, there was um, shenanigans happening in the election. Yeah. But like, I didn't know about all this buildup and the resentment that would be building right. in the people, in the citizens. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said at the beginning, it's like I I was reading into it, and I was like, well, I have to say this, and I have to say that, and I have to say this. I've cut out. I don't know how many things out of this, just to keep it within time parameters. Mm-hmm. I do highly suggest, while we have a second, highly suggest reading some books on this if you're really interested in the topic, because so much more happened. I mean, here here's a book that I read the whole book in a week. Oh, Look at all of my highlights. I, I see that. All of my highlights. Um, and I'll tell you what the book is and all the other books that you can read about it later. Okay. But where was I? Uh, you're talking um, about um, okay. wife. Twice. Yeah, wife voted twice. So, Deputy John Morgan, uh, election officer of Riceville, kept calling votes for Mansfield that were marked for true, and the Republicans in the room objected. Mm-hmm. He replied, quote, Sit down or I will shoot you down. Oh my God. If you don't like my count, take it up with the Supreme Court. Wow. And we all know the Supreme Court's already in the Democrats' pocket because mm-hmm. they, yeah. they've they already done all this other stuff to overturn 
like the elections and stuff. Yep. The absentee ballots were announced for people who had voted in person that day or had been dead for years. John Rogers, election officer at Etowah City Hall, had several people walk in and claim that they were blind. This allowed him to mark their ballots on their behalf. He never asked, like, who they wanted to vote for. So, to me, it seemed like the way that it was said in the source, that if I just walk in and claim that I'm blind, you can you can do fraud for me, yeah. you know. You'll mark whoever it is you want to. It's not like they were actually blind. Right. I think they were just claiming they were blind. Right. Um, Cantrell was unopposed in his primary for state senate. Yeah. So, and he also won the seat in the county court as Etowah Justice of the Peace. So not only is he a senator, now he's on the county court. Wow. In McMinn County. Wow. The ballots were counted in secret again. And the Democrats won all countywide offices for the first time that anyone could remember. Like, why not take it a step further and be like, oh, Kentron has a million votes. Like, just... <laughs> a million. A million. Like, seriously. is literally, like, infinity votes. Like, what is it? Like... Yeah. And I would like to point out that I haven't really put a whole lot about Congressman Jenkins. Mm-hmm. This entire time, since the... I think it was the 1938 elections, he's writing to the Attorney General. He's writing to the governor of Tennessee. He's writing to anyone he can, telling them about the atrocities that are happening, begging them to come and help at every single election. Please look at all this evidence that I have thousands of pages of evidence on election fraud. He was ignored by everyone. He was the only one in the upper you know, bit of Congress and stuff going to bat for the citizens of McMinn County and he either was told no or just straight up ignored. What I don't understand is why they want McMinn County in the first place. It's McMinn County. (laughs) What, What is there? What is so important about it? I don't know. I think, I think really is that it's just become a hub for people to make a lot of money and that Cantrell was a local. And so he, you know, kind of like the, do you want to be the head of a, head of a mouse or a tail of a lion kind of a thing? And I think Cantrell just... Wanted the power and the money. Yeah, and it's a small and just, town, a small county, and mostly rural. You know, citizens are mm-hmm. spread out. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I can understand and how. apparently there's something to be said about just having all the power, even if it's a small town. Because the power that he gained in McMinn County propelled him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with the support of Crump and that machine, propelled him to become senator. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, he, I think he just really wanted power and money. And he built himself a machine and just wanted to keep it going. 
So, in 1942, Mansfield won sheriff 5,158 to 2,251. So, there's these numbers are getting a lot more spread apart than they used to be. Yeah. S.C. Brown stated, quote, the election laws were raped again in McMinn County in Tuesday's election. Such conduct is beyond endurance by free men in a free country. We sorely need the relief that can come through the Department of Justice. Yeah. Which would never come. And Ray Hammer, an Athens hardware store owner, and his last name is Hammer, and that makes my heart so happy. I mean, it's destiny. (laughs) It's the perfect job for you, dude. (laughs) Um, Stated... The good people of this country are sacrificing for the cause of America's freedom, but have lost their freedom at home. Both parties have lost the freedom of the ballot box. A dictatorship has been set up. Yeah. I mean, really, that's what's going on. Yeah. There's a selective few people that are in power and like there's not even an illusion that the citizens have any kind of say in their representatives. Nope. It's horrendous. And the election of 1944. So this is the election before the battle. And I titled this one, Too Scared to Vote. And you'll see why. Mm. Claude Hutzel was the Republican nomination for sheriff against Manfield. Cantrell was still in the Senate. um, And most of the races for the other, you know, positions went uncontested. Because the Republicans couldn't find anyone to run for the offices. Yeah. They were too damn scared. I mean, one guy's son was almost killed. Yeah. Two elections were held that day. One for the county offices that was run by the Cantrell machine, and the other being the Republican primary for Congress run by the Republicans. Uh, Many of the previous issues happened. I'm not going to repeat... All the things happened again. Mm -hmm. We're talking, you know, dead people voting, underage voters, people being threatened, the whole nine. So Robert Biggs, a Democratic hired gunman, we could call him a deputy, but he was just basically a hired gun, went to a Republican polling place to ask how the election was going. H.E. Williams and Horace Reynolds both in their late 60s, were both working the polls. William told Biggs that he had no right to enter the polling place, which he didn't. Biggs hit him in the head with his pistol. Reynolds intervened and was then hit in the head with the gun as well. Oh, no. Biggs aimed the gun at William's head and fired point blank. Oh, no. Williams was able to tap the gun with his cane, just <gasps> in time to get to miss. Oh, my God. Oh, he had yep. a cane. Yeah, I know. Oh my <laughs> God. poor old man. <laughs> and um, it was said that Horace Reynolds really got hurt by, you know, being pistol whipped yeah. in the head. And he never really got over those injuries. Oh, no. I mean, he lived, um, but he never got over the injuries. And apparently... That bullet 
went into the polling place. It could have hit just an innocent person standing oh there. Oh, my God. Thankfully, a group of deputies took Biggs away before it could get Good. worse. And Mansfield won 3,498 to 1,281, which was a total of 4,779 voters. That ain't a lot. And I would like to, for reference, point out how many voters were in each of the previous elections, Mm -hmm. just so so you could see what was happening. In 1934, 8,590 votes were cast. Um, The next year, when Cantrell was elected, 9,662. A little higher, but reasonable. Mm -hmm. In 38, 10,932. That's a big leap. Yeah. That's screaming fraud to me. In 1940, 12,516. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Yeah. In 42, 7,409. Okay. It went from 12 to 7. Yeah. And my reasoning is actual people were scared to go vote. And... Half of those were probably fraud. Well, and then you also have to think, too, you know, there were voters that did leave because of people who went to go fight in World War II. So that would make sense. There were a lot of people. Yeah, but I mean. Because all of those that went, most of those that went to war, some of them were about 17, mm -hmm. would be eligible to vote. So And you said like 3,000 young men went to go fight, right? 3,000. So it went from about 12,000 to seven so i mean yeah that's about a five thousand five thousand dollar five thousand voter loss and about three thousand went to go fight yeah so that that makes sense to me right and then remember in 1944 was four thousand seven hundred seventy nine oh wow so so people were really like i would rather live yeah yeah. Yeah. And like it's like my vote doesn't matter anyway. So why am yeah. I why would I go out yeah. and risk physical intimidation or being pistol whipped or even shot and just I'm just gonna stay home yeah. on my farm. Exactly. So the people in McMahon County seemed to be too scared to vote and couldn't physically stand up to the machine. And with Cantrell now as a senator, his right hand man as a sheriff mm-hmm. and the war limiting people's resources. There didn't really seem to be a way out of it. So that's probably one reason, again, why they didn't vote. But by early 1946, the war was completely over Mm -hmm. and the men were coming home. Uh, The Cantrell machine wasn't worried. They thought they could just go back to kind of how the way things were. And at this, I'm going to say join us next time for episode (laughs) two. What's on the Battle of Athens? What is going to happen when all the GIs come back home after they've been standing shit, up to shit, fascism? I mean, they've been standing up to fascism for the past four years. They're not just going to tolerate yeah. it back home. No, these people have been put through hell and back, yeah. and they're coming home to their home being what they just fought yeah. against. It's disrespectful. Yeah. The whole thing's just oh, yeah. disrespectful. We'll see you next week. I can't wait till uh, you guys hear what happens. And I guess we should just end it here. Do you want to talk about our socials? 
Oh shit, I got so excited I forgot about her socials. <laughs> yeah. So we <laughs> we have um an email address if you have a topic you want us to discuss or you just wanna say hi or anything like that. Uh, you can email us at illequippedhistory at gmail.com. No dashes or anything like that. And we are also on Instagram at illequippedhistory. And uh, if you could like and share, follow us and all that, we yeah. would love it, appreciate it. Give us comments. Yes, leave some reviews. You know, we, we want to know how we're doing. Share us with the world. Yeah. Give us some insight. Tell us how good we're doing. <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> yes. Shower us in compliments, please. Fill my ego, please. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so like, share, all the things, um, and we will see you next week. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. bye.